Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Amen, amen, amen. How many feel the presence of God in this place? You know, when you give him an opportunity, when you open and you set the table, the Holy Spirit comes and you feel him. And I believe he's in this place. Amen. It's so good to be again in the house of God. You guys may be seated. It's been an action-packed Sunday. How many of you guys were in the morning services? Raise your hand. Anybody came to the 9 a.m. service? Raise your hand. Okay, we had a few people. 9 a.m. service. 11 o'clock service. Anybody? For those that don't know, right, these are the, the Spanish services. I had the opportunity of sharing today in Fort Myers. 10.30 in the morning, I was in one of our sister churches, Pastor Hector Rodriguez. He was actually graduating here. Anybody here graduated from the chaplain course? Sandra, all right. Let's give it up for Sandra. We had 38 people graduating as chaplains today. They took the course a couple of months ago, and today was the graduation. So Pastor Hector had to graduate, so he was here in the graduation. I had to go fill in for him in the church, and it was an amazing experience. It's so good to know that, man, the JTP Church and Ondas de Amor family, it's a big family. Amen? And it doesn't matter whether we're in Fort Myers, Lehigh Acres, Orlando, LaBelle, Kendall, wherever we are, we're the same. We have one heart, one vision. I want to share with you today a little bit about covenants. We're going to talk a little bit about what a covenant is, and we're going to get a little bit into the definition of what covenant is. But before that, I want to start with a story just to help tie things in together. How many of you guys remember your elementary school years? Raise your hand. Some people don't even remember that far back. <laughs> They're like, woo, it was way back then. Okay. I remember my elementary years. Did you guys like the first day of school when you guys were in elementary? Raise your hand if you did not like the first day of school. And I want to hear quickly reasons why. Why didn't you like first day of school? Huh? Too early? Okay, you had a trouble getting out of bed. All right. Meeting new people. All right, you had like that anxiety of, oh my gosh. All right, anybody else? Another reason that wasn't mentioned? Joe? That'll do it. <laughs> what grade was that in? Fifth grade? Okay. How many of you guys loved the first day of school? Raise your hand. Why did you love the first day of school, Janice? Because you were... If you didn't hear, she said she would sleep in her uniform of how excited she was to start the school year. Wow. Lord, I pray my kids will be just like Janice. In Jesus' name, I'm prophesying. I'm declaring it. Anybody else? I saw some other hands around here saying that they enjoyed, right? You look forward to it, Carlos? Why? Uh-huh. Free food. Right, your parents had to pay for it, but for you it was free. Free food, okay. I used to love the first day of elementary school, but not for the same reasons as you guys shared today. And I'll tell you why I loved the first day of school. The first day of school in elementary school was like the climax of the entire school year. Everything else after the first day is like downhill from there. And I'll tell you why. Because when I would go into that class, the first thing I would do is scope out who was in my class because I knew whether I was in the winning team or in the losing team for field day. 
it was all about field day in elementary school for me. I knew that if I had Julio Lopez and Juan Carlos Marquez in my classroom, I knew that it was going to be ribbons galore come field day. These guys were like the fastest guys. And I went to Rockway Elementary School down south. I don't know if any of you guys know it, around the Coral Way area. I went there for third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Back then, sixth grade was part of elementary school. And I remember we used to have four classes of the same grade. So when we were competing, we were competing against three other classes. And I remember my first day of school, I was so excited. And I wanted to go in there to make sure that we had a good team because I knew that if we did, if we had those two guys, that's it. We were going to rule on field day. And that's what it was all about. No one wanted to be in the loser's team. Now let me talk to you a little bit about covenant. And then we'll tie in the story so you guys can see why this is important. Just a little bit of Bible facts about covenants so you can understand. You see, a covenant is a contract or an agreement between two or more parties. Okay, that's exactly what a covenant is. It's an agreement between two or more parties. A covenant also is how God has chosen to communicate with us. He communicates to people, to us believers, through covenants. He also used covenant to redeem us. He uses a covenant also to guarantee us eternal life in Jesus. The Bible is a covenant document. How many say amen? It's a covenant document. The Ten Commandments is also a covenant document. It says what God would do and what he expects from us. So there's two parties, right? It's a covenant document. The Old and New Testaments are actually Old and New Covenants. And if you want to get really technical, the word testament is actually Latin for covenant. So testament, covenant, you could use those words interchangeably. When you go into the altar like I did 11 years ago and I decided to marry my wife, I gave my vows and I said, I'm going to love you and I'm going to respect you and I'm going to be with you every single day of our lives. We're always going to be together. That is a covenant that I entered with my wife before God. Now that you guys understand a little bit about a covenant, I want you to say this with me. Say, a covenant is a promise made by God. Covenant is a promise made by God. If you go into the word of God, you'll see that the covenants are covenants that God initiated. Promises, there's things that God will do for us. And then since a covenant is an agreement between two or more people, there's also something that we have to put into the covenant, right? It's an agreement. God does his part, and we do our part. We mentioned the Ten Commandments. The Old and New Testament as covenants. There's also, going really quick here, there's also an eternal covenant that the Bible talks about, right? Which is between God the Father and Jesus. The eternal covenant leads to a grace covenant, which is the covenant between God and man, between God and us. And I want you to turn your attention to a covenant that you cannot miss on. And this is what we're going to focus tonight on. We're going to talk about a specific covenant. No matter where you are in life, this covenant will bless you if you're able to enter into the covenant. And we said a covenant is what? A promise made by God. And it's also a contract, an agreement between how many parties? Two. So if God made his part of the promise, but we don't do our part of the promise, is that covenant effective? No. In order for a covenant to work, 
you have to also do your part. So I want to share with you this incredible covenant, and it's an entire chapter. Unfortunately, we don't have time. We'd be here until midnight if we read the whole chapter and start analyzing every little part of it, but I'm going to try to do my best to have you out here by 1145, all right? I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. Go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to dissect this a little bit. I was reading this this week, and it just blessed my life so much. It's a famous scripture. For those that have been in church for quite some time, you've probably read this a lot of times. But I want you to read it like if God was speaking this to you. Like if God was saying, look, I want to enter into this covenant, and this is what I have to offer. And I want you to receive what God has to offer. And then at the end, we'll see what our part is to the agreement, all right? So here comes God. God starts the entire chapter from beginning almost all the way to the last verse, saying all the things that he'll do. And he starts in verse 1 saying, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Everybody shout, sing. Uh, why don't you do something? Look in back of you, touch two or three people and tell them, sing. Come on. Tell them, sing. Tell them, don't ever let anybody take your song away. Don't ever let anything keep you from singing, keep you from expressing what God said in your life and, and having faith. You see, Isaiah 51 or 54 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible because it's God inviting imperfect, messed up, do not have it all together people into the covenant. It's God saying, look, you don't have it all figured out. It's okay. You can be part of the covenant. Because sometimes we come to church and we think that, well, I've heard people say, I don't want to go to church because there's a lot of hypocrites in church. Like if you're going to go to church and only see angels, right? That's the reason why we're in church, because we need God. Church is a place where imperfect people could come, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could get strength to be able to overcome the things that challenge us, the things that keep us from living the life that God wants us to live, right? So God is calling into this covenant everybody. Come on, shout really loud. Say, everybody is invited into this covenant. No exception. You can't be too messed up to not enter into God's covenant. You can't be so deep in the pit or so deep in sin or so deep in, you know, in mess-ups that you cannot be a part of this covenant. So everybody is invited. And God, after inviting, you see, when I was reading it this last time, like the first couple of words are like a contradiction. It says, sing, O barren. And barren is a person that's unproductive. In this case, it's using the analogy of a husband and a wife. And as you guys know, if you read the scriptures, you see that time and time again, God uses that analogy that Christ, the husband, and the church is what? The wife, the bride. So it's saying, look, sing, O barren. Sing, you who could not produce, you who have not born. And maybe you're thinking here, how can I sing if everybody around me or everything in me is unproductive? How can I sing if everything's going wrong, if I'm so messed up? How can I sing? Where am I going to get strength from? How am I going to be able to sing if I got all these things that are going wrong in my life? Do you want to know what barren means? If you go to the dictionary and you look up the word barren, it means bleak and lifeless, too poor to produce much. Bleak and lifeless, too poor to produce much. So what is God saying? God's saying, 
Sing if you're lifeless. Sing if you're too poor to produce much. And I want you guys to apply this to your own situations because maybe you're fruitful in some areas, but maybe in other areas you're not too fruitful. Actually, you could relate to being barren in certain areas of your life. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in, in your finances. Maybe it's with your family relationships. Maybe it has to do with your health. But I want you guys to apply this to the situations in your life that are barren because God has a word for you tonight, and that word is sing in the midst of your lifelessness, sing in the midst of the things that you're needing, sing in the midst of the things that you still feel that they're so far away and you'll never reach. You see, that's the God that we serve. It's a God of hope. How many love being a son of God? I mean, just the fact that he opens this covenant to us, lifeless people that we probably aren't producing much in certain areas of our life, and he says, hey, come. Come into this covenant because if you're a part of this covenant, even though you're lifeless today, I'm going to tell you, just start singing. Start singing. And then he continues to let us know why we should sing. You see, that's why I told you to tell the person next to you, don't ever let anything or anyone take your song away. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter how lifeless a situation in your life appears, you have to know that as a son of God, there's always hope. Amen? And you have to sing. You can never let a situation in your life bring you down so bad that it steals the song away from your heart. There's one little word here that stuck out when I read it. And it's the word are. In 54 verse 1, I'm going to read it again. It says, sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married women. Look, you see, he could have said, sing because more will be the children of the desolate. God could have said, look, don't worry about now. You know, more are going to be the children. You don't have any children now. And let's use the analogy of lifelessness with this analogy that God is using of a man, right, and a woman. And the woman, she wants to have children and you guys know that back then, that was like a curse. If a woman couldn't have children, what did she do? She must be in sin. God must have cursed her. That's how people used to think back then. So imagine this lady that she couldn't bear children. And God is telling her to sing in the midst of everything that people are gossiping about her. In the midst of all the stuff that's going on in her life, personally, inside, her questioning her integrity and saying, I wonder why God hasn't given me the opportunity to bear children. And God is telling me now to sing. And then God says, for more are the children. Interesting. God is not saying that God is going to do something in the future. You see, God is a God of faith. How many say amen? And he says, I want you to start seeing yourself with many children. Now, you probably are not even pregnant. You probably, that dream seems so far away. It seems like you're never going to get there. It seems like you're never going to accomplish what God called you to do. But I want you to see yourself accomplished. I wanted to see yourself with your dream right here. See you with your son in your arms. Not tomorrow. That little word right there changes everything. For more are the children of the desolate. Wow than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. I want you to raise your hand in the air and say, I'm, I'm a fruitful person. Come on, put your head on your forehead and declare, I'm a fruitful person in the name of Jesus. I declare that every lifeless situation over your life is going to produce life 
because you're going to start singing in the midst of your lifelessness. You're going to start singing even when you don't see anything because you know what? Through faith, you could start seeing all the things that are lifeless today coming into life. How many say amen? We need to get us some faith. So let's take this a little bit further. God is giving us a message here for situations in our lives, personal situations, because God's a personal God. He was speaking to Israel here, but he's speaking to you through this verse for lifeless situations that we have going on in our lives. And once we could start singing and we could, we could start seeing things, because everything starts with faith, how you think about yourself, the things that you can see about your future, that's where everything starts. If you could see yourself being successful, if you could see yourself winning souls for Christ, if you could see yourself being used by God in a supernatural way, if you could see yourself opening up your HOB, if you could see yourself accomplishing your dreams, then that's where we start. Now I want to take it a little bit further, and I want to share with you that true faith always is followed by actions. You can't just get comfortable and say, well, I'm just going to sing about it. Yeah, I'm going to sing. God's going to do something great and leave it at that and not add action to it. Now that you sang and didn't let your current circumstance dictate your destiny, now start making way for the promise, the covenant that God has promised you. And look what it says in verse 2 and 3. I'm still in the same verse. We're going to follow along in Isaiah chapter 54. That's all we're going to read today. So you could, you could just leave it open there. Once he says sing... Now he gives advice. He says, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you shall extend to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. God says that it's not a matter of whether or not you will expand. He's saying you will expand, so start getting ready. What do we have to do? Well, it's not enough to just sing about the situation, just see yourself prosperous, and then wait for God to do everything. God says, start preparing the way. Because if you have faith, but you don't add action to your faith, then you're going to stay halfway. What does true faith, how can you know that somebody has true faith? Because they're always going to follow the faith with an action. So God here, he says, look, sing, start seeing yourself. Look, even though you don't have kids now, even though you're barren, start seeing yourself with more children than the person that has many children. Okay, so first see yourself, have faith. But now start preparing the way because faith always pushes you to move and do things out of the ordinary. That's why some people have faith enough to sing, but then when it's time to prepare a way, you're like, well, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's crazy. I don't even have a kid. You, the doctor said that she can't even get pregnant. You want me to buy a crib? I mean, isn't that kind of crazy? No, no, that's adding action, right, to your faith. So that's what God is telling him. He's telling him, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains. Like, make your house bigger because you're going to have so many kids that you're going to have to have rooms for them. You have to prepare the place for God to fill it. And look at verse 3. It says, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. Your descendants will inherit nations. It's talking about nations. And look what it says. And make the desolate cities inhabited. The cities that have nobody living in them, you're going to inhabit. You're going to fill those cities up. And it's talking to a person that's barren. You see, that's the type of God that we have. 
It's the type of God that can do everything with nothing. Sometimes God speaks to you and tells you, look, I want to use you. And I believe sitting in this place, and I've said it before, there's pastors that God wants to lift up. There's missionaries that God wants to send abroad to help people because that's the calling that God has for your life. There's people here that have ministries, prophets here, that God's going to start to speak to you in the middle of the night. And you're going to say, what in the world is this? God gave me this message. What do I do with it? And, and God wants to connect with you in such a way. But sometimes it's hard for us to believe it. It's like, God, are you serious? Is it me? And, and God is telling us, look, get out of your comfort zone. Don't just believe it, but start preparing the way. Start preparing the way so I could do this. Following this analogy for a person that is wanting God to give him a child, for example. A way to do this is, well, I'm wanting God to give me a son. It hasn't happened yet, but I believe that God is going to give it to me, so I'm going to start buying the crib. I'm going to start painting the room. If I want a boy, blue, or whatever color you want for a boy, I'm going to start to do something. So I, wanna, I want you to think tonight. One, has God spoken to your life? Number one, are you singing about it? Are you believing it? And number two, are you taking it the next level and actually preparing the way so that it could come? If your dream is to preach to thousands of people, start preaching with your two HOB members like you're preaching to thousands. Start seeing yourself. Because that's what faith does. You only see two people in your HOB, but you're like, I know I'm destined to reach so many people, so much more than that. You're preaching in the youth group, and you probably have 34, right? Or you have 50-something. But God called me to multitudes. You know what? I'm seeing multitudes. I'm preparing the way. If you've been wanting to buy a house, and you can never get enough down payment together to buy one, you know what? Start singing and start declaring, God, thank you for the house that you're giving me. I got way too many kids to live in this house. I need extra rooms. You know what God wants you to do to prepare the way? Start going out and looking at houses, even if you don't have any money. That's how we were able to get into this place right now. You guys know the testimony. We came here in 1995 into this place. We didn't have any money saved, absolutely nothing. And the guy, every time my dad came to speak to him, this used to be a basketball gym. And we used to have a little chapel on the side where the parking lot is. And every time my dad came to speak to the guy wanting to buy the property, the guy would tell him, one million dollars. <laughs> and we didn't even have a penny in the bank. We've always lived day to day because everything that comes into the church, we reinvest in evangelism, in TV, and radio. We've always been that way. My dad kept on trying, and I think that's what faith does, right? You prepare the way. You start believing God. You keep trying, and you persist. My dad must have tried five or six times. The guy would see my dad turn in the corner, and he'd go, <laughs> one million. Until one day, he called my dad, and he said, you know what? You guys could come here. And we could talk and we can negotiate. And my dad said, you know what? Just let me bring the whole church over here after our Sunday morning service. And you know what? We could talk after that. So we did that. We finished the Sunday night service, Sunday morning service, where we used to have it before. It was an old theater. It was the first movie theater that was built in the city of Hialeah after World War II. It had been burnt down. We fixed it up completely from top to bottom. But now that was small for us. So we were coming over here. We told all the brothers and sisters to come. Hey, let's, we're going to go see a new place that God has for us. We came in here. This was a basketball place. They had the, the rims. And my dad got an old ladder that was laying in the corner. He stood up, and as he always does, he picked up a special offering. And he goes, 
this could be ours. We have no money. You guys know that everything that comes into the church, we reinvest in evangelism. But I believe we could take this right now. And people started standing up. And my dad started asking for people that could give $10,000. We had, and if you see that tree in the back of the church, and if you see the roots on the bottom, those are names of people that gave $10,000 to get into here. And the little leaves are people that gave 1000 and some 5000 That day we picked up $70,000. And we went to the guy, we said, it's not $1 million, but we got seventy grand. Would you finance it for us? And we bought it. We were able to come in here. We gave him the down payment. He himself financed the property, and we were able to come here, you see, without any money. But what? Faith requires action. If my dad would have said, wow, a million dollars, oh, Lord, pray, 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 every day check mailbox, see, check for a million dollars. No, oh, man, I guess God doesn't want it. You see, sometimes you got to move to make things happen. So if you're looking for a house, you know what? Start looking for a house. Don't worry about where God's going to provide the money for just go start making appointments with a realtor. Start looking for a house that you like with a pool, whatever's in your interest, and start looking for it. I'm actually planning on doing that sometime soon. You start looking for it, and then God will send provision after you have the vision. How many say amen? So that's what God is saying. Look, in any capacity, we could take this, we could use this to speak the things that are pertinent to ministry, but also to personal things, to financial things, to health-wise if you're about the age where you're ready to settle down and find the woman of your dreams, guys, or vice versa, ladies, and you don't even have a girlfriend or boyfriend, you know what, guys? Buy a year's worth of monthly rose deliveries in anticipation and believe God in the process will give you the address. Isn't that putting faith to action? You see, sometimes we're so religious about this faith thing, but when it comes to action, that's where we say, oh, yeah, yeah, but that's crazy. That's exactly what faith is. Faith is believing something that doesn't exist. And to take it another notch, that's exactly what God is saying. Enlarge the place of your tongue. Come on, shake the person next to you and telling them it's time for you to start enlarging the place of your tent because that's what God's waiting for you to do so that he could give you the things that he promised to give you. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Number three. And this is very key. These are two things that are very important. Number one, we have to believe and we have to have faith. To faith, we have to add what? What did we just say? Action. And another thing that God speaks to us, and we're going to read right now in the same passage, is that we need to make sure that fear doesn't set in. Because when you're about to take action or when you're considering to take action, that's when the enemy starts using fear to stop you. And he starts saying, you're crazy. It's never going to happen. Come on, people are going to laugh at you. Are you serious? You're really going to go through with this? Fear tries to set in. That's why in verse 4 of the same chapter we we're reading, it says, do not fear. Tell the person next to you, do not fear. Yeah, because as we were talking about, as we were talking about this, especially the last point about putting action, adding action to your faith, some of you guys were starting to come up with some crazy ideas that I believe the Holy Spirit inspired. But then comes the enemy and he starts saying, come on, that's crazy. That's way out there. That's why in verse 4, God says, do not fear. For you will not be ashamed. Come on, raise your hand with me. I want you to declare this with me. Say, I will not fear. I will add action to my faith because I will not be ashamed. Neither 
be disgraced. Look what God says. For you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your past, the shame of your youth, and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. That situation that had you barren, the blessing is going to be so great that you're not even going to remember how bad it was all those years in the past. That's what God is saying through this. For your maker is your husband. Now keep in mind that we're talking about this relationship between a woman that's barren and God, right? And Israel is that woman. So that's why God is saying, remember who's speaking. It's not just anybody. This is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the holy one of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. God knows that fear will always try to get in between you and his covenant for you. So that's why he tells us, hey, be aware of this. Don't let fear set in. When God tells you something, grab a hold of it, believe it, and start working towards it. Add action to it. Be faithful in the little. Do more than what is expected. Start preparing the way because it requires effort to be able to stretch out your tent and to reinforce the stakes. It requires effort. You actually got to do stuff, but God says, don't fear. Don't fear because I'm going to take care of your provision. He promises to not put your name into shame and that what's coming will be so great that you will forget the shame of your past. His provision is going to be so great that you will forget all your limitations. How many are believing that for your personal situation? Anybody? Yeah? And why? Because your maker is your husband. Another word that caught my attention. We spoke about the word are, and now comes the word is. Your maker will not be your husband. Your maker is your husband. He is your provider right now. He is with you right now this instant. Sometimes we can't feel him. Sometimes we feel like God is so far away. But God brought you here to JTP Church today to let you know and to assure that he is with you today. If you could just believe it. Just to recap, true faith must always be followed with an action. And true faith must always keep fear out. Now I want to go to the fourth part of this covenant. It gets even better because this covenant, it's not temporary. It's a perpetual covenant. Everybody say perpetual. That means it's forever. Verse number 10. And then we're going to go to 13 and 14. All right, we're going to skip 11 and 12. Verse 10 says, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills will be removed one day, but my kindness shall not depart from you. God is saying that everything that seems steady, immovable today, everything that seems that it's in its place and will never be moved, one day will be moved. But his mercy for you will never be removed. In other words, you could take it to the bank that everything that God promised in his covenant, in his side of the agreement, he will bring to pass. If you could just believe it and do your part. Amen? You guys believe that? He is not a man that he shall lie. Everything that he promised, he will do. My kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. God is promising in this perpetual covenant that he will not only take care of you, but he will also take care of your children, and he will take care of your loved ones, your 
grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And if you paid attention and read the title on the top of this chapter, you'll see that it says, A Perpetual Covenant of Peace. God is not only in the business of blessing you and wanting to do this covenant just for you. When he does a covenant with you, he encompasses your entire family. He wants to not just bless you. We're so limited. We sometimes just desire things for us. But God sees to the seventh generation, to the tenth generation. God sees you and he sees all your children and the children of your children. And he sees all the people that are going to come after you. So he will not only take care of you, but also your family, your loved ones, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And last but not least, I want to talk about the bargain. Because when you have a deal that seems too hard to believe, one tends to ask, okay, where's the catch, right? If somebody's offering you so much and all of a sudden they haven't said what they require of you, in the back of your head you're like, okay, I wonder where the catch is going to come. What's required of me? And then sometimes comes the catch and you're like, well, the catch is worth it. I mean, it's, it's a good deal. What I get in return from what I have to give, it's pretty decent, right? It's pretty at, almost at the same level. But you see, what God has to offer in return to what he's asking from us, it's a bargain. Everybody say a bargain. It's something that you can't miss. It's something that you can't keep yourself away from. It's a covenant that you have to make sure you're into it because God has so many promises for every single one of us. Verse number 17, as I close. Verse 17 of the same chapter. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. And then it says this. I have it on bold on my iPad. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So check this out. Right there is our responsibility. Just in one little word. Everybody say servant. That's all God requires from us. After naming all these things, and there's a lot more. I encourage you guys at home to read the entire chapter because there's a lot more we can get into every single thing that God mentions in this chapter. We started reading verse 1, 2, 3, 4, then we skipped all the way to 10. So there's a lot of stuff that we didn't get a chance to get to. But now in the bottom of this chapter, verse 17, God says, all of this, all of this that I promised and all of this that I've prepared for you in my side of the deal, my side of the covenant, my side of the agreement, so that you can fulfill your side and your side is serve me. You see, this is not a catch. The offer is extremely superior to what God is requiring from us. That's what you call a bargain. Everything we just read and discussed on God's side of the covenant, God's promise for you, for yours, and for future generations, and in return, all he's requiring is for us to serve him and to love him wholeheartedly. There's a part in the Bible when somebody came and said, God, can you, in one sentence, resume how I can please God? He said, yeah, it's easy. You want to please God? Love him with all your heart and with all your mind, with everything you got, and love your neighbor. That's it. That's all you got to do. If you're able to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself, 
you fulfill other requirements. When I was dating my wife and I just wanted to spend every minute of my existence with her while we were dating. How many of you guys are married here? Yeah? Okay, you remember when, when you just met that person and it's like, oh my gosh, I want to spend every single moment of my experience with that. Every single moment. And I remember I used to have 30 minutes of lunch and I've shared this with you guys. I used to go 10 minutes to get to my girlfriend at that time's house. I used to spend 10 minutes, just 10 minutes with her just to get a chance to see her and then come 10 minutes because it takes me 10 minutes to get back to work. And I would do it. Why? Because I was so in love. Well, God says, if you're able to love me that way, that every single moment that you have, you want to be in my presence, then that means you'll never do something that will break my heart. I love my wife so much that I will never do something that would hurt her, at least not intentionally. I've made mistakes, but I won't do something that I know she hates just because I wanted to. No, because I love her. I don't want to do something that hurts her. So love always pushes you to be able to honor that person and do what that person likes, even if it means going out of your way. And God is saying, look, if, if you're able to serve me with all your heart, if you're able to love me above every single other thing in this world, including your family, including money, including your job, including your own dreams, if you're able to love God above all things, even your own life, then you've fulfilled every single thing that God put. And what's better is that God's covenant is open for you. And everything God promised for you will come to pass. I want to encourage you to take your relationship with God to another level, to pursue God like you've never pursued him before. Because when you pursue God, this comes to pass, and you're fulfilling your part of the covenant, your part of the agreement. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. God is saying that everything I promised you in all these 17 verses is your heritage. That's for you. That's what I prepared for you and yours forever, perpetually, just because you decided to serve me with all your heart. Stand on your feet today.